Welcome to this brave new season of the Yale Office of Career Strategies podcast, Take This Job and Love It. I'm Derek Webster, Senior Associate Director for Creative Careers at Yale, and I'm excited to be bringing you a new series of episodes we're calling Craft and Career Talks. We'll be featuring conversations with professional creatives from the arts, entertainment, and media industries, and inviting our guests to discuss the nuances of their craft, the reality of their career, and how, in often surprising ways, these two concerns can actually work together. With that introduction, let's go ahead and get started. I'm excited to introduce writer and Yale lecturer Derek Green as today's guest. Derek is the author of The New World Order, a collection of stories linked by a fictional Halliburton-esque company and set in various locations around the globe. He's written nonfiction on subjects ranging from industrial farming and trauma surgery to the international war on terror and the armed militia movement. As a screenwriter, he's written for Warner Brothers Studios and Carousel Productions, and has co-created, written, and presented television projects at major studios, including HBO, AMC, Sony Productions, and Jerry Bruckheimer Television. At Yale, he teaches fiction and drama in the English department's creative writing concentration. He's recently completed a novel about the rise of violent uh, Midwestern militia, as well as being on work in various screen projects. Derek, welcome to the podcast. Derek, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be part of it. (laughs) And we know that this doubling of the name is not going to get confusing, right? <laughs> okay, so let's let's hop right in. So it's it's craft and career. So one of the first things we like to ask is the the a word like career gets thrown around a lot. Sometimes it's heavy, sometimes it's light. When we say career, what does it actually bring to mind for you? Um, I thought that was a great question when I um, first saw it, and I think it's a great question now. I. Uh, feel like the word career, like you said, does get batted around without a lot of thought. And to me, you know, I've always kind of separated the two. I, I have my writing career, but then I have had another career, which was in industry and in, uh, now in teaching, um, uh, here at Yale. And, um, I kind of had to compartmentalize them both. So I am a professional writer for better or worse. And that's a weird career. And, um, there's no real kind of path for that. Um, the other part of my career was very much kind of driven by those kind, you know, a path and, uh, and they're both an occupation. And I suppose the thing for me that really makes the distinction between career craft is I do the career end is about making money more, um, and, um, supporting the other part of the habit. So um, I've, I've always approached a career as a malleable thing um, that's under subject as subject to perpetual revision, kind of like a piece of writing. I like that. That's a great way of looking at it. That's a great distinction between the two. Um, <laughs> so with craft in mind, um, what keeps you returning to it? I mean, this it being so distinct and, 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 and having different outlets, some of them with different degrees of craft involved, right? Teaching has a craft to it. Um, as you said, industry can have craft to it, and then your own independent writing can have craft to it. Um, what keeps you coming back to that craft day in and day out? That um, is kind of an essential question, especially in the creative um, fields, which, like I just said, writing is a strange um, kind of career, music, um, painting. And to me, what keeps me coming back is and this might sound strange, is kind of an obsession with the process of the craft. Um, so in my mind, what a 
the, the way in which I'm a, I'm a craftsperson as opposed to a professional isn't simply about the track. There's no junior associate writer that you become a partner writer and you become, um, but there is the process and that's what sustains me day in and day out. Uh, I consider myself a storyteller and my craft is that I make these things called stories and I'm obsessed with it and it sustains me in teaching too because often what I'm teaching at any given moment is what I'm not, not that long ago have been working on teaching myself. So for me, a piece of writing craft is not that much different from a, from a carpenter trying to make a dovetail joint and then showing an apprentice how it's done. And those are the way the two things for me come together. Um, and so that is what keeps me coming back day in and day out. I want to see, can I do it? Can I tell a story? Have I figured out a new way to do it? And for, again, for better or worse, that um, is kind of, you, you, you can't be too worried about the results because they come infrequently, especially when you write right. long things. Yeah. But the process is always there. And the process, the process is sometimes it, right? <laughs> yeah. If you, if you don't really love the process this, of developing these ideas and nurturing them along and, and going down blind paths and working your way back, um, then it's a, I can't imagine it would be kind of like pulling teeth every day. So. <laughs> so with, with that being one of the aspects that sort of keeps you engaged, um, what, what inspires you? What kind of stuff? Are you reading, watching, engaging with in different, you know, outlets and formats? Um, what what is what what feeds that in in a way? What are the externals that can help you stay engaged and interested in those directions? One of the differences um, between you mentioned that I teach in the English department and the the way that there's the way writers read and consume um, material for inspiration and for direction is really different from the way that critics or um, you know, the kind of analytical side. I, I do this, do some of that, but for my own writing, I am, I kind of, I'm a voracious reader in a sense, and pretty much anything I can, I'm looking at can inspire me. And so I read the way a shark swims, you know, uh, if I stop, <laughs> I sink, and I'm constantly consuming, um, texts. One thing that's interesting about your question that, that I learned about myself a long time ago is that I'm, I'm, I love books, but I don't, it doesn't have to be in book form. I love television shows. I love movies. It's all very eclectic. And, um, and so at any given time, I will be reading something new. I'm a, I'm a huge rereader as I, as no doubt you are. I, uh, so currently I'm rereading the book, The Godfather, because I'm trying to, I'm working on a trilogy of my own and, uh, mm -hmm. and, and I'm, I'm reading new novels. Um, student work is inspiring you, you know, very often to see, um, what the students are working on keeps, goads me along. It's like, if they're doing it, then I want to keep doing it. And so right. I know it's a kind of vague answer and I'm always crusading for specificity in, but <laughs> through vagueness, uh, but, um, <laughs> but a lot, I can be inspired by almost anything, a piece of music often. If I'm stuck writing, I can often listen to some music and get unstuck um, or go read something. And, uh, and it's all very much, um, I, I keep using it's it, it, there's no kind of system to it. I grab something off the shelf, read it randomly, and suddenly I'm, I drop it and run off to my desk and I'm writing away. Okay, so, so if we want to force a specificity, let's do this. 
Okay. You're 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 working. Are you you recently finished a novel? I did um, if there if there was a soundtrack to that novel that that was tied to music or or something that you've recently been engaged in, give me one sampling of what would be the the head of that soundtrack. There is a soundtrack to it. In fact, it's on my iPhone. I, uh, I recorded the novel is called Blood and Liberty. And as you mentioned, it's about the rise of a violent militia in the Midwest. And, um, there were several pieces of music that kind of informed it. Um, one that was important to me, um, was an album called Meteora by link by lincoln park um that was an edgy back when i started the novel lincoln park was still something that was considered edgy as opposed to something your dad or my student's dad like me like um (laughs) but it was uh but it it captured a kind of mood um and it still does for me when i go back i've just you know i went through a round of edits with my agent in anticipation of um sending it and i was listening to that music Again, as well as reading a couple of novels that were both, you know, inspired me before and during it. But, uh, so there were a couple of songs, one called Bleed It Out. Um, if anybody wants to go track them down, um, yeah, yeah. or, uh, hit the floor, you get a sense of the, uh, the, the yeah, mood I mean, of that, the book. That's so. such a great example and very specific example because, I mean, it, it gives us, you know, that, that that track to know that like it can come from anywhere and it doesn't and the inspiration doesn't always have to look like the product right like in, in some ways it's often moving against or in co- communication with or in dialogue with that's that's that, that's fantastic i like that <laughs> well well so much about any creative um text or creative um production is tension and so those tensions are right there in you in the in the creator and the writer and those that's a nice observation that they come from contradictory sources and often and uh so it's a fascinating and uh you know i I teach my students that there's there's no mystery to this craft there and yet and yet (laughs) there are these (laughs) mysterious little connections that i can't quite figure out so Uh, so one thing that we're usually thinking about or talking about when it comes to craft, and this is a little bit different for every different practice, right? So writing um, is not often, though, except for TV writing, is not often thought of as being the most collaborative of the arts. That said, there is always community. And I was wondering your thoughts on, uh, do you have a community of practice? If you do, what does it look like? How do you go about building it? How do you rely on it? Yeah, yeah. what are your thoughts on community of practice? Community is vastly important and and underrated among, um, especially I think um, writers as they're starting out, the the image of a writer as a solitary figure, especially the novelist or the poet in a garret, um, a hermit is there's a bit to it only because you can, you got to sit down and write and that's a kind of solitary thing. But writers are also notoriously, you know, happy hour type creatures because you got to come out. And the, that community is, is so important because that is part of what sustains you. Writing is a long, hard road to hoe. And, uh, and you often, um, you can't do it alone. And so you're part of my community, Derek. And, uh, and Yale has been vastly supportive. One of the reasons, um, 
I love teaching is because it provides that essential community of people who care about writing as a as an endeavor. Um, what, when I was working in industry, um, I would publish something. And if anybody ever, you know, one time a friend of mine said, I saw your article in this magazine. It's like, it's not an article. It's a short story. And, <laughs> and, and there, it wasn't important. I, I, it was to, to a lot of them, it was an oddity. Uh, and if anything, it was a negative. Like I was off doing something vaguely disreputable and it, that was distracting me from real work. Right. It's different here. And so I think that is a, it's a great, um, question. And the, the community of practice is both, you know, I have a handful of very close readers who I'm thinking of and who read my work when it's done. And then, like I said, people like you, our students, um, the wonderful writers in the creative writing program are our, our community and the New Haven community is, you know, people who are interested in this. Um, they come to readings, they, uh, they, uh, sit in on classes. So like so many other things, community is where you find it, but you, you got to have it. Right. Yeah. I, people talk a lot about being a good, you know, citizen, you know, within the literary communities. I think that's, that's something that is learned, right? I, I think at a younger age, it's not something that's really absorbed. So that's, that's great to expose that in, in some ways for our audience. Um, Okay, so how about career? How about the other C word? Uh, <laughs> that, 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 that's the dirtier one, right? The, the, the dirtier C word, right? Um, so what do you remember about the beginning of your career? Because we can talk about it in retrospect, and that's a little easier at this point, but it might be valuable to think about it in terms of how did it start for you and what were some of those defining early steps that you took? Yeah, my it 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 was like many writing careers. It's a spotty and strange thing, and and it's very hard to um to learn something from any individual writer's careers because they are so um, sui generis. And one writer likens it to you you kind of hack your way through the jungle and it closes behind you. And even the writers you work with or you're teaching have a similar experience. So again, there's that isolation um, to it. For me, it really started when I was in the MFA program at Michigan, where I learned a lot of what I, the, the, the importance of community, um, the importance of people caring about a piece of writing. You know, you write something, there are 12 other people out there who are, at, at least on some level, invested in it. Um, yeah. I published a story really early, and uh, and that was a major where, you know how it is, it was a legitimizing thing in many ways that <laughs> I, I could write something that somebody not that was not that was not my mom or had a similar same last name would read and right. I um I, however, was kind of broke and I came from a, my background was very kind of working class. And so it became important to me to, for various reasons, to earn money, partly to survive, but also that legitimizing yeah. thing again. You know, I felt like I, I, w I wanted to write about the wide world. I should better get out there and do it. And so I wrote some journalism and that led to th this and this led to that. And I ended up being, um, working uh, as a business consultant for Chrysler, which kind of was the prodigal part of, and, and I used that. But when I came back, I, um, I decided I wanted to be a, a fiction writer and not in business. And so I took the, I wrote a book and I did the hard work of finding somebody to publish it. And all of these things were major steps. Kind of the final step that brought me to where I was, was when I, um, 
joined the creative writing program at Yale, which is, of course, a great program. And that pulled a lot of these threads together in a way. Um, it always looks coherent if you, when you write your resume, but it's really a kind of bunch of threads, uh, like, right. you know, again, subject to perpetual uh, revision. Yeah, as our office uh, is constantly working with students and alums on, on building that story, building that narrative and cohesion. Yeah, the idea is you're, you're, it's a narrative, right? Just, just as any good writer, um, you, the, the outline and, and sometimes it's Lincoln Park in the background that's giving you the, <laughs> the inspiration. So. It's giving the coherence to it. <laughs> exactly. At least in reaction. Um, okay. So, um, you, you, you mentioned a prodigal, right? That, that you, you think you thought of industry of sort of being out on the side. Um, what are some other examples of the kinds of, let's say, you know, tangential or tertiary sort of engagements, but that were important in being able to help pay the bills and provide structure and sometimes even building the networking and the connectivity that opens up new channels. What were some of those other kinds of experiences like? That's a great question. And, um, and it, I think again, there, you look at the, um, when you look at writers you admire and you look at their bios, they, they, they appear more coherent than they feel when they're actually taking place, which is useful for students to, to learn. You're really inventing this, you know, um, it's, you're net, you're crocheting a parachute, uh, on your way down often. And for me, one of the very important steps they all were important, Derek, in, in so many different ways. They didn't often feel that way, but, but again, writers are, we're great. We're collectors and you make do with what you have on hand often. And, um, I, uh, worked in journalism very early. And one of the things that I learned from a couple of great editors was that my words were not precious. Um, that same MFA program that gave me a lot of support m misled me in some instances to think that my words might be more precious than they were. And there's something to the discipline of slicing and dicing and meeting deadlines. And you have a space that your words are going to fit in and you got to cut your words because they, they ain't going to cut the ad space. And so there was a discipline of concision and precision that I learned, for instance, from that. In industry, I worked with I worked in Chrysler International, as I mentioned, and so I went all over the world and for various reasons, seeing different cultures and the way different people approach the same kind of age old conundrums and anxieties was great. There's nothing like a business environment to see human, you know, um, one of the axioms of storytelling is you put somebody under pressure and see what they're made of. Business environments tend to do that to people. Do that every day. <laughs> every day. And, uh, and as I said, I'm a, I'm a very slow learner, but I'm thorough and I take good notes. And so I took a lot of notes during this period. Um, and, and so much of that, um, as you said, these were secondary and tertiary, um, paths that could have been a career. Any one of them could have been. And um, for whatever reason, as, as soon as it started to feel like a career, I would have an allergic reaction and run the other way. And finally, around 2006 or seven, around the birth of my first son, I realized I got to 
I got to admit, I got to admit what I am and come out and say, I am a writer and we all are just going to have to deal with this. And right. since then it was, all, it's been, um, it's, it's been, it's been great. And so I don't know if that answers the question, but. No, those, it definitely does. Yeah. They, they, they all kind of integrate. If you're, one of the things that you learn about writing is, as you no doubt know, is efficiency. And part of efficiency is using what you have. You don't always get what you like the old song, you might not get what you want, but you often get what you need if you're looking right, for it. So. Right. <laughs> and we'll never, we will never build the systems ourselves that, 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 that make that difficult decision. So sometimes it's an external system that's going to force us to, to aim for what we need and not what we want. Which is a great question. And, and being able to work within those things, um, often I think students will think that it's a, it's a betrayal of their creativity when really mm -hmm. it, it's a kind of constraint that makes you flourish if you learn to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Great point. Um, okay, so fast forwarding past those prodigal years into the, the modern landscape. So what does an average day look like for you today? So you're, you're teaching, you're writing, you're writing for TV, you're, you're, you've got spec stuff, you've got pro, you know, contracted stuff. Um, what does it look like? How does it, how does it fit together? And, and, and what are your favorite parts and least favorite parts? <laughs> Um, well, uh, you know, that's the essential question and writers thrive under routine. And so, you know, we just went for the first time in a couple of years, um, on a trip to Michigan, which was great fun where I'm from and my family is from, but it was almost a two week disruption, which is very difficult. I like to have the same routine about 360 days a year with an occasional, let's do something crazy, um, break only for a day or two. But to your question, a typical day for me, um, it was really, uh, starts the night before when I write down what I'm going to do the next day. And that's an important thing because I have a lot, as you just mentioned, there are all these different threads and it's easy f for one of them to get away. And if I don't write them down, they don't. And so the morning I always, I get up pretty early. I'm an, I'm one of those annoying early risers and I spend at least the first it's two. Early, is early five o'clock? Is it before five? It's it? between 4.30 and five. I try to get up. Um, sometimes as early as four, that becomes a bit extreme. Um, <laughs> but four to five is when I like to start. It's quiet and the kids are in bed and it's dark and you, you know, you get a lot done in those couple of hours before the world starts. And so I keep that and most of the morning to writing the actual process of writing stuff. So I have a word quota and every day I try to write X number of words. Um, a trick taught to me by a, a screenwriting friend is um, I will also be doing revisions and revisions are harder to quantify. I was just doing this on my novel. So I'll do time. You know, I might only change 10 words, but I'll spend two hours um, every morning on it. And then once that's done, the day starts to become the day and I do things with my family and kids. The, the rest of the morning is writing related, the career part often, um, answering notes right. to my agent uh, or, but it's still writing. And then we're talking at, as this is being recorded at three in the afternoon because I keep afternoons starting at around one for teaching related. Um, so I teach in the afternoons. I do office hours. I have these meetings with um, uh, folks. Uh, and that's a typical day. And it's the same in the summer. With the, I'm not usually teaching, but you know how summer is. There's always something related 
to that or I'll teach at a conference or something. But th- those are pretty much the days. I try to get some kind form of exercise in. Writers, um, you need to move. It's very physically exhausting. People always laugh. But we can waste tired. away. You can waste away sitting there in a chair. So <laughs> I, uh, I do that twice a day, at least a walk or a jog or something. It's more walking than um, running. In the old, the old days, used to be the reverse. <laughs> but And then I, I don't try not to do much in the evenings except read. Uh, those are for my family. I'll read a little uh, or screen some things. S- screening sounds professional. When you say watch TV, everybody thinks you're just being a bum. So. <laughs> right, but it's to purpose. If you're screening it, it's to purpose. There's, yeah. there's, there's some sort of an analysis that's going on in the process, there, right? <laughs> there kind of always is, isn't there, for you too? Once yeah, you commit yeah. to this, you never quite watch things the same way. Um, right. It's it's always, uh, I'm learning. Even if I'm watching you know, Kangaroo Jack with my kids, there's some craft point I'm <laughs> noting here. Yeah, yeah. My my family is um, not always happy with me because I have to. If I, if I'm watching, I'm watching. Like there's no, <laughs> there's no. Hey, let's talk about this other thing. It's more. What am I getting from what I am imbibing at the moment? <laughs> yes, I remember my wife looking at me when I said, "I have to watch TV. It's for you know, it's for work. It's part of the career." <laughs> it's a, I don't. I, it's this is a lot of work for me to watch binge Breaking Bad for four hours. <laughs> So, uh, bringing around the career side of things, um, what do you have like a, a any kind of personal story, either warning or inspiring or both, that you think would best describe your multifaceted engagement with industry? Uh, a story. It is. It's a. It, it's a. I've, I. I seem at once to have a bunch and none that really do that. Um, it. I probably the most um, useful is. It's, it is inspiring in a sense. And it's that, you know, um, the first screenplay I sold, for instance, I, it's impossible to sell a screenplay. It's impossible to publish a book. It's impossible. It's, imp- and so you always hear these things and generally they're right. But yeah, yeah. writers have this, and I do not, I remember when I was a very young writer thinking, how does somebody, you know, I'm in my fifties now. How does somebody, stay interested that long. Who cares what you do when you're 45 or 50, right? It's, it's all over anyways. At that, That's the 21-year-old in me thinking back then. <laughs> um, and yet, um, I hung in there. And I'm, I think that what um, where the story comes in is that it was impossible, it was impossible, it was impossible. And then one day you get the call and, you know, you, you might get an agent and that's what for you that time is the call or the agent calls you and says, Hey, we sold something. Um, and so those are, um, to me, I suppose it's not exactly a story, but hanging in there, you, there's again, there's no signposts. And so you keep at it. And you keep at it in a way that you do other things, normal things that other people do in society, like have jobs during the day and, and yet you're always working. And so I don't know if that does the kind of go, goes where you're it looking. Does the tri- it certainly does the trick in terms of if I, if we're to extract from that, it's patience. Um, <laughs> this is an industry that requires a, a, a tenacity, but also a patience. And that's a strange combination, right? We're, we're always working at it. We're always putting the effort in. But if we're not patient, and this actually goes back to one of the first things that you said was not being tied to outcome. You can spend months and years creating great quality, meaningful, you know, soul-searching material content, and it might take that long for anyone else to actually pick it up and pay you something for it. So, so it's, a, it's an odd mixture, right? Like, like such energy and then such willingness to just 
brush it off and move on to the next thing and be patient with it. Well, absolutely. And that's often one of the things, you know, I promise the students, not every student who takes a creative writing class, even at Yale, wants to grow up to be the uh, great American novelist or great American poet or whatever, great poet from another country. Yeah. And the, the discipline teaches that no matter what you want to be part of. The, um, studying creative writing is useful in the sense that it teaches you, if you want to be a doctor, that idea of tenacity and not being so tied to outcomes, of being, of being mm-hmm. patient at the same time as urgent. Remember what I said about these kind of tensions. There's always, it always boils down to some kind of ridiculous um, oxymoron or paradox. You have to be flexibly rigid. You have to be tenaciously patient, <laughs> urgently patient, and so on. So, right, that's great. Um, okay, so a couple of kind of bent. It's still in the career direction, but it's actually a bit more nuts and bolts kind of practical reality kind of stuff. Um, if you could only provide one piece of advice to start students down a similar path that you've taken, or in this case, maybe even multiple paths that are interrelated, um, what would that one piece of advice be? What a great question. It would be um, something you mentioned earlier is to never underestimate the power of collaboration. Um, work, learn to play well with others. It doesn't come naturally to a lot of people who become writers. Writers are often being a solitary person makes you fit for the job, not necessarily the other way around. And learn to trust other people to take feedback um, with grace. Most people are really generous. They're not trying to tear you down or rip you off. Uh, rip you up, even though it feels that way. Um, and, and that even something like novel writing, you are part of a community, you're part of a group of people, and you should not, this is probably more about me than you need to be open to that. And that's hard. You know, it's a, it's a form of vulnerability to join a group, especially for people who are inclined to the arts. And that would be my one piece of advice. Learn to, um, trust just, you know, be re- use your head, but to trust and work with others. Yeah, that's great advice. Um, what is one decision <laughs> slash mistake that you would take back if you could? <laughs> I didn't work with others as well when I started. It <laughs> um, was part of that. As um, a carryover. <laughs> I, I think possibly the... It, it, you know, I try, it, that's, that's an important question to always be monitoring. I do think, um, writer, you can be your own worst enemy. You can, um, hold yourself to too high of a standard. You can, you can, probably the greatest mistake. Both of these questions, I knew you were going to ask them, and yet they, my answers are taking me by surprise, which proves they're great right. questions. Um, <laughs> is that don't listen to that internal editor. That's probably the biggest mistake I made. Um, I was a bit, I come in, I came to screenwriting, for instance, through literary writing as a lot more, it's a trend that's been taking place over the last few years, which we can discuss a more recent time. trend, though. It did, there used to be a much bigger barrier between those. those yeah. And, and it flipped about 12, 15 years ago. And suddenly um, literary writers are um, kind of welcome. And I used to scoff at my friends who were bitten by the screenwriting bug. And yet here I am again, these <laughs> conundrum conundra. And uh, I that goes to, the, to, to your question. What was uh, a mistake was to Like I said, listening to that editor, where I was going with that is Netflix. Once one thing I learned in the screenwriting business um, has one of their many famous slogans is show early, show rough and show often. 
and this is a long roundabout way um, to get to answer your question, but I, I would hold things too long. You know, it's related to this editor and you try to perfect them to show them to people. That's a mistake. Right. It's a terrible mistake. You need to be willing to show it when you're not sure it's good. And it goes back to that learning to take direction. Um, be, it's a risk. It takes guts and you show somebody something and it doesn't work. Um, that is probably the biggest mistake I made. So I'm a slow yeah. learner, but again, that <laughs> is related to uh, being, you can shoot yourself in the foot. Uh, you know, I wonder if that is even related potentially to, to a question of, of, of tied to outcome, back to what we were talking about before. I know myself and I know a lot of young writers, they think the one thing, they're, and the preciousness, right? The one thing they're working on is the thing. And so they want it to be perfect. It's got to be like, you know, pitch letter, like everything's got to be in place. And then, and all of that, like the opportunity blows past because they haven't, they haven't actually, you know, released it. They yes. haven't actually waited to get the feedback, that sort of thing, which what we're talking about with the, with the big C career as a writer, it's never about any one product. It's never about any, any particular content. It's about a sustainability, a process and a re-engagement. And if you can get past that, then you can release that first thing and realize that that wasn't even the important project. The important thing was getting the feedback from the producer who ends up, you know, pitching you in for something down the road or something along those lines, right? Oh yeah. That uh, again, it's the process. And once you learn, the results should be if you think about the word, it is a result, a byproduct of the process. And focusing on it is always a mistake. If you if you do the process right, the results will take care of themselves. John Steinbeck famously said, accept that you're never going to finish this thing. And then one day when you do, you get to be surprised. And I think that is, you know, that's great advice. I wish some I had heard that 15 years ago, but it is, yeah. you're exactly right. Um, it does go back to the process and um, it's just a job. So uh, over investing in any one project is, is never a good idea. Yeah. I think <laughs> you might, you might have just summed up the mission statement of this podcast with it's just a job. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and, and, and all the com complex layering involved in that simple statement, it's just a job. <laughs> and that's the best way to approach it. <laughs> we are but ham so, humble craftspeople. <laughs> this has been fantastic. Thank you. Let's go ahead and uh, X out of this um, on um, what, what's, what's exciting to you right now? What's on your horizon? I know you just completed a novel and you have some other projects. What, what do you want to highlight right now to talk about um, something, something cool or interesting or engaging you've either got going on or, or about to have going on? Well, uh, you, 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 you mentioned the novel that I recently completed, which is now, um, here's, this is a great example of how process needs to work. I, uh, it's called Blood and Liberty, and it's extremely timely. And my agent and the agency and I and we are officially um, feel like it's it's hitting at the right kind of timeliness for the subject matter as I finished it. So I'm very excited about the prospects for it. Um, and it is a good candidate for development for a television program, which is another way of saying I've already started developing it as a television series with a, my, with a co-creator um, based on the novel that I uh, wrote. Um, it's with my agent right now. And so here's a fascinating kind of career where craft and career might kind of dovetail if you're interested, which is 
it feels great when you're a writer when you're writing, but as soon as you release it, um, it's kind of no longer yours. And there's a there's all forms of anxiety and panic and um, joy and regret. And what I realized is that it, it always comes back to um, the process. And the the process now is I wait. It's their job to sell it, and I don't have a role in that, so I'm working on the next installment. That is something I can do. And there you go. Yeah. The, the, the anxiety disappears as soon as you, you know, a writer in a project is like a baby in a shiny thing. As soon as I see it, I'm, you know, toddling off after it endlessly. And <laughs> I uh, am, so I'm excited about um, what I've written, but, you know, um, I'm always more excited about what I'm starting to write, which as a writer, you know probably exactly what I mean. Every Everything you're about to write is going to be great. The other <laughs> things were, you know, so. It hasn't got tied up in the in the practical reality of it all In yet. reality, yeah. Right? It's, it's still ideal it up still here be, in your head. You know, platonic form in the mind, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, this has been such a pleasure, uh, Derek. Thank you for uh, uh, checking in with our podcast. I look forward to continuing to collaborate with you at Yale and uh, checking in on your projects. Um, and, and thank you for being our, our inaugural guest for uh, Craft and Career Podcast. Well, thank you, Derek. This was this was terrific. Um, um, this was great, and your questions were awesome. And I'll be thinking about them long after we stop recording here. Fantastic. That's all we can ask for. So until <laughs> next time, don't be afraid to use the word career, but always stay crafty. Mm -hmm.